Welcome to the Carnivore Cast, a podcast focused on the carnivore diet and lifestyle, with practical advice from successful carnivores, citizen scientists, and top researchers. I'm your host, Scott Meslinski, and I'm here to speak with experts and experienced carnivores to get answers to your biggest and meatiest questions while helping you live your best life as a carnivore. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting the Carnivore Cast on Patreon. By becoming a patron, you'll help us reach more people and continue to create content on Carnivore. There are also exclusive perks available, such as private Q&As, consultations with me, and more. Become a supporter at patreon.com slash carnivorecast. Check the episode description for the link. Thank you, and I'll see you there. Manisha Takor at Manisha Takor on Instagram is the founder of Money Zen, a joy-based approach to personal advice. She's a financial literacy advocate for women with over 25 years experience in the financial services industry. She's an author, educator, speaker, spokesperson, and a lover of keto and carnivore. Welcome to the show, Manisha. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, it's fun to get to know you and great to chat a little bit before we even got started. Um, but tell me a little bit about yourself. Introduce yourself to the listeners. Um, what is what has your journey been about? So I came across this beautiful community of carnivores out of inflammation. Um, when I was 49 years old, my body just stopped, um, just completely stopped. I um, uh, had worked in financial services for my entire career. I did my MBA at Harvard Business School, my undergrad at Wellesley. And I was always this hard charging person. Um, and I didn't take the best care of myself. But I And I really didn't understand the massive impact stress and a poor diet could have on your insides until I got to a point where quite literally I could stay awake for maybe three hours, four hours at a time. I'd be wow. in the office and I mean, literally, Scott, I would have to go um, into the wellness room um, and I went and or go into um, sometimes I ended up collapsing um, just, you know, anywhere I possibly could find a space in the office. Um, and I need to sleep two or three hours before I could get back up again to work another couple of hours. And I kept pushing through that until I started to break out in these red, blotchy, um, swollen uh, rash all over my body and my scalp to just touch my head. It felt like I was on fire. And then I had a fever that went up to almost 104. Wow. I go to the doctor and um, she's like, I have no idea what's wrong with you. And we run a mother load of um, blood tests. And the only things that came back conclusively were that I had Epstein-Barr, which is essentially uh, mono on steroids and sky high levels of inflammation, mm. um, no matter what metric you um, use to measure them. Um, and so from there, and then I will take a breath <laughs> from that point, um, I realized I had to do something. I took, had to take a nine month leave of absence from work because I literally could not stay awake. I was awake on average five to six hours a day during that period. And so I started exploring on Google anti-inflammation diets, and it led me down a whole rabbit hole, the beginning of which was not 
carnivore lined and not pretty. Um, and then I eventually popped out um, into the sunshine when I first learned about carnivore. Interesting. And had you heard of carnivore or ketogenic diets before that? Nothing. I mean, I think part of that is because I just lived um, the the financial services world and particularly the institutional side where I spent a lot of my time um, is known for like a being a perpetual medical residency, right? There's like this big badge of honor about working a ton of hours Mm, and having no time to sleep or eat and just keep going. And so while there was a lot of emphasis on like, you know, PX80 or whatever, you know, on CrossFit and on being very fit on the outside, there wasn't a lot of emphasis in the world I lived in on necessarily being fit on the inside. So no, I hadn't heard. And my my journey to find um, the promised land actually started with a, a diet. I, w- I won't say its formal name, but um, it b- was a you know massively best-selling diet that suggested you eat to uh, uh, tamp back inflammation, 20 ounces of vegetables and um, eight ounces of fruit every day, along with a little bit of protein. Wow. And so I, I started packing that in and needless to say, um, not only did my inflammation get worse, but I got fatter. Um, and so it was from trying that particular, um, eating protocol, um, that really got me thinking like, my God, if eating 20 ounces of vegetables and eight ounces of fruit is not fixing me, there's gotta be something that I'm really missing about this nutrition stuff. Um, and I need to dive in. So in the few hours I was awake each day, I started to begin this exploration and, um, God bless Amazon and their somewhat scary big brother algorithms because, um, they, (laughs) (laughs) they popped up, um, my first foray, which is, um, um, Anthony Gustin and Chris Urban's book, um, the keto answers. Yeah. Great book. yeah. And so I started following um, Dr. Gustin and, you know, one day he said, um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to test this carnivore thing. Um, and that was it. I really um, so admired his drive and intellect and curiosity and the fact that he who had set up a whole company um, around keto um, was willing to entertain the concept of trying carnivore. Um, that's what opened the door. Uh, to me and and to find out so much more about the protocol in the community. That's awesome. And um, what what got you to to dive in? Like what what were your first steps into dipping your toes in the diet, and, and how did you find it? You know, like so many people that I'm hearing of, and I find it tremendously helpful to hear real people's stories of how they got into this. So I just want to thank you, Scott, for interviewing so many people. And then all the people that have come on your show, other shows are willing to show up in comments because you, you can feel so alone when you're doing this and, um, just hearing from other people can make such a a big difference. And so what, what I'll say is that like many people, I started in keto land and um, I really became fascinated with understanding the role of insulin in the body. And it just all made so much sense to me um, 
But then I started implementing it with far too many Frankenfood keto treats. You know, it started with introducing fat bombs. And I, I recently was cleaning out a shelf um, in my house and I had printed off a whole bunch of different keto recipes and I had d- divided them into different groups. And I had, you know, for uh, various different, you know, soups or main dishes, I had, you know, maybe 10 sheets of paper. And then I got to like the keto bomb section and I had like a hundred recipes <laughs> printed off. And I also went down the keto prepared. So it's not just the fat bomb, but the keto prepared snack, um, uh, slippery slope. And so pretty soon I found that while I was keeping my net carbs um, to 25 net carbs or less, and I was feeling a lot better than when I was eating 20 ounces of vegetables and all of that fruit. Um, I was not seeing as big of a transformation as I would have thought from what I was seeing on the, the internet. And when I say seeing on the internet, that's actually a very, um, important phrase because at that point in my journey, I hadn't yet under, and maybe this is my age because at this point in the journey, I was 50. Now I'm 51, but I hadn't quite understood the difference between, influencers and um, doctors and experts and um, passionate science citizens that I think I fell too far into the um, uh, influencer with subtle, I don't want to say subtle agendas because I'm, I, I'm a money person and I think it's great to make money and I love to help people understand how to, you know, make the best use of their money. But I think that there can be a lot of conflicting interests and it can be easy to fall into the wishful thinking pot um, in traditional keto in a way that I think is not as easy um, in, in the carnivore world, which I, I feel is a little purer, cleaner. Um, so. Scott, I'm like, I'm having like a pre-senior moment. I've rambled on so much. I've completely even forgot what question I'm answering. Oh, no, this is great. <laughs> no, you're, you're giving such good detail. Um, and I guess like, how have you found carnivore to be um, like just in general? And, and what, where do you think you fall on the spectrum of carnivore? Um, like from keto carnivore or carnivore-ish to zero carb carnivore? And how has that evolved over time? Yeah. So I am very much taken with the work of Judy Cho. I identify with her on so many levels, um, including her uh, very uh, much appreciated candid conversation about her journey with eating and disordered eating. But she has this chart, just tons of great charts, um, which uh, if anyone isn't following nutrition with Judy, you should, you've got to check it out. Her charts uh, rock. Yeah. Um, But she has one in particular that lays out kind of three stages. She calls zero carb carnivore, which is the, you know, only animal kingdom, animal fats, eggs, dairy, water, tea, and coffee, but that's it. And then the second category is what she calls carnivore keto, where you're primarily zero keto carnivore, but you might add in some, uh, non-animal fats and oils, and you would allow yourself sugar-free 
um, sweeteners, uh, stevia, monk fruit, et cetera. And then carnivore-ish keto would be what I just described, but also um, including some fruits, some veggies, and some um, unsweetened uh, drinks, like maybe um, unsweetened almond milk or so forth. And I have experimented with with all three. I um, I feel best when I am zero carb carnivore. But I I uh, I struggle to stay on that. I struggle to stay in that place. Um, and I think it's because I have. Um, uh, I'm unwilling to do what Kelly Hogan encourages people to do, which is not put anything with a sweet taste in your mouth. Um, and so, you know, I've, ha- I've had a long um, standing um, history with trying to gain weight or try to lose weight after having gained weight and dieting and yo-yo. And I have a big sweet tooth. And so as I've been easing into this, I, I have found that I've needed um, sugar-free sweeteners in various different forms in order to kind of help me step into this. And at this point, I basically have narrowed it down. Um, there's a chocolate I use and anything that I'm mentioning here, I have, I have, um, I do, I'm not endorsing anything. I have no sponsorships, none of that. This is just from my heart, what I'm, what I'm using. Um, so I, there's a chocolate that I found called ERND, um, and it has five, um, grams of sugar alcohol. It's malitol, which I know a lot of people really don't like, um, one net carb, and I'm trying really hard to measure, to live in a total carb, not net carb world. But that is one of my go-tos if I just need a piece of something sweet. Um, and then the other thing that I use, there's a, um, a creamer called Primal, um, sweetened with stevia and monk fruit. Um, and, and the founders, this amazing woman, Courtney Lee, who's been really um, vocal about her struggles with disordered eating and her family's um, issues with type 2 um, diabetes stemming very much from the standard American diet. And she founded Primal to try and address this. And I don't know where I fall out on those. You know, is it is it okay that I'm using them? Are those crutches that I really need to get rid of? Um, and uh, then the third piece that I have in there that um, makes me in that middle category um, because of the the um, my current willingness to in, indulge in sugar-free alternatives is I love the work of Ben Bickman. Um, the BYU professor, yeah. Um, yeah, who who talks so much about um, was his wonderful book is why we get sick and insulin resistance. Um, he's the go-to man to at least for me in terms of understanding it. And he and his brothers founded a company called Get Health, um, HLTH, and they have a, a meal replacement. Um, I hate to use the word shake because they sound disgusting as so many of them are. And I mean that not just taste, but much more so from a nutritional standpoint, but he's created this 
meal replacement shake that re- I find it remarkable. It's a one-to-one protein fats um, ratio. And um, uh, it's, you know, you have to look at it on a net carb basis. It's about five net carbs, um, you know, twice that if you look at total carbs. So that takes me out of my zero carbness. And so on any given day, I will typically have one of those three items. The meal replacement shake, if I eat that, I will have that in a ribeye and I'm good for the day. Um, and so, I mean, it's, it's, and if I have that in the ribeye, I'm good for the day. And um, I've either consumed, you know, 10 total carbs or five net carbs. Um, so I'm staying very low, but I do, I do question sometimes whether, um, am I cheating? Is that not the right thing to do? But I'm one year into this and I feel like, um, maybe at this point, the most important thing is that, um, I am nearly, um, zero, I'm nearly entirely meat-based. Um, but those are my non-meat items. I'm very excited to be partnering with Bioptimizers to bring you guys an awesome new product. Capex helps you digest fat, which we all know is so important on a carnivore or meat-based diet. There are many well-researched benefits to having good fat in your diet. I think it's an essential part of carnivore to make sure you're getting enough fat, not just jamming down protein. But the problem is with too much fat and without proper digestive enzymes and key nutrients, the fat just sits in your stomach and creates a traffic jam. For me, this made me bloated, made me up all night with indigestion. You can feel sluggish, low energy. Undigested fats pass through your GI tract so you can get greasy, fatty stools, constipation, fatty liver, etc. But Bioptimizers has created an awesome new digestive product called Capex, which is specifically great for carnivore. It helps in a few key ways. One is it can help rev up your cellular metabolism and boosting your energy and your capacity to burn fat as fuel. It also helps your body build new cells on a carnivore diet. And lastly, it can give you really strong focused energy. So I don't recommend taking it past 5 p.m. or so because it can just wake you up without any stimulants, which is pretty awesome. So I highly suggest you check it out. I had a great podcast with one of the founders and CEO of Bioptimizers, Matt Gallant, if you want to check it out. You can go to kenergize.com slash carnivorecast to get a discount. That's K-E-N-E-R-G-I-Z-E dot com forward slash carnivorecast, one word. And you'll automatically get 10% off any package of K-Packs with coupon code carnivorecast10. It's all one word at checkout. That's kenergize slash carnivorecast. And hope you guys enjoy. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're doing everything right. I, I don't think you have to be perfect, uh, even if there was such a thing as perfect, which I don't think there is uh, for a carnivore diet. I don't think you have to be it all the time or right away. It can always evolve. Like you have the rest of your life to eat however you want and figure things out. And you know, you're you're trying something. You found something that works really well for you. So that's awesome. Um, you know, everyone's version of carnivore is a little bit different. Um, and I always say, you know, find what you can tolerate and feel good on and perform well on and is getting you results and you enjoy eating every day. So that's awesome. And let me just ask you a quick question in, in, yeah. in the one thing I, I, I really struggle to nail down a crisp answer to is, um, and this will be a somewhat inarticulate question. I'll see if I can 
sounds somewhat logical. I feel like this is Rubik's cube between total carbs and net carbs on one axis um, and then calories along another axis. And it's, it's like finding the right, like um, uh, another person whose work I really have come to respect is Dr. Eric Westman um, out of Duke. And, you know, he's, he's run their obesity clinic now called their keto clinic for over 20 years. And everything he does has been um, tested both in his active two-day clinic to date clinical practice as well as in his research. And, you know, he talks about how like, yeah, you know, you actually can eat too many calories. It is possible, even if they're zero carb calories. And so how in your mind have you thought about that Rubik's cube? Do you think in total or net carbs and do calories play any role in, in at any point, did they play in a role for you? Yeah. Great question. Um, <laughs> it's a complicated one. You're right. Um, I think, so I'll take it one thing at a time. I think carbs, um, I think it's different for everyone. Um, I think net carbs can be really tricky if you start subtracting things like fiber and sugar alcohol. Um, I think I, I actually really like the way Rob Wolf and the keto gains crew frame net carbs, which is only subtract fiber from, uh, plants, um, to get net carbs, Mm -hmm. don't subtract other things, um, and try to keep your net carbs. And and then where you want to keep your net carbs is totally up to you. Like Mm -hmm. there's some people who want it to be zero or near zero. Um, there are some people who can be in ketosis at 30 net carbs. Some people can be in ketosis at 50 net carbs. There's some people who can be in ketosis at a hundred or more net carbs. So, but is ketosis necessarily the goal? Um, so I think it's, it's like just finding whatever way you track it, you know, you don't have to track it, but if you want to track it and measure it, be consistent and find what level works for whatever your goals are. Um, I know that's kind of a a vague answer, but that's how I feel about that. And with regards to calories, I think they absolutely matter. Um, I don't think everyone needs to track them. I think for the most part, it's not a great idea to be tracking them all the time, unless you have really acute, extreme body composition goals. I think you can generally go by, um, a mix of hunger cues and like mixing up your, uh, food composition. So, you know, if, if you're eating a ribeye a day and a shake and you wanted to lose weight, you could either eat slightly less ribeye a day, um, and a shake, or you could have, uh, a slightly leaner cut and a shake. Um, and you wouldn't have to count calories to know you're eating less. Um, and the calories don't necessarily matter, but that would be like an easy way to, um, change, change your, what you're taking in, um, where calories became important for me was trying to find a way with my digestion that I could take in all the food because at one point I needed, um, over 3000 calories, like 3,500 or more just to sustain my body weight. And, um, I couldn't tolerate more than about, and I started tracking to like figure out, you know, my fat to protein ratios and just get a little more precise with it and see what, what was going on. And I found out that I was eating, you know, whenever I went over 150 grams of fat a day consistently, I would get very sick. Um, Mm. it would take like two or three weeks, but I would get a lot of GI problems and I tried everything, you know, getting fat only from suet 
uh, raw suet, you know, spacing out my meals, trying different meal frequencies, everything. Um, but I found pretty consistently that that 150 gram of fat mark um, for weeks on end was not good for me. And so when you do the math of, you know, needing to get to 3000 or 4000 calories, and you can only have 100 grams of fat, that's like 900 calories. So if you're having no carbs, that means you're getting two and a half, 3000 calories from only protein. That's a lot of protein. And it's actually not great for your body to be digesting that much protein. You know, you run into a lot of issues with diuresis, kidneys, with, um, with just feeling hot all the time, sweating, um, et cetera. And so that's where I kind of solved the issue for me and ended up needing to add back in more carbohydrate sources after three years, uh, strict carnivore, zero carb carnivore. And so that's, that's kind of how I used calories. Um, but I think it's different for everyone. Like most of the people I work with or give advice to, I, I don't tell them to track calories. And that, that makes a lot of sense. And it, it's, um, it's one of the things that I found to be very freeing as I moved from, um, I'm, I'm going to call it the internet-y keto world to distinguish that from, um, a really deeply rooted nutritional, um, ketosis driven, um, you know, to the extreme treating kids who are epileptic to other people who are really, um, striving to be, um, using that definition in a very clinical perspective. But one of the things that I found kind of coming out of that was, um, it, it was, um, so much, I felt like I had less stuff to think about. Like going to the grocery store felt really complicated in the keto world because I I wasn't simply restricting myself to the perimeter of the store. Um, and even on the perimeter of the store these days, you can find some dangerous concoctions. Um, but, you know, I'd weave in and out and there'd be different keto snacks or supplements or this or that. And one of the things, um, and they're expensive, um, too, by the way, I mean, I was, I have been shocked at how much less money I spend, um, eating carnivore, um, at, despite buying pretty good cuts of, um, revise my cut of choice. And I, um, allow myself, um, food has just always been such a big part of my life. I love food. So I, I allow myself to splurge and eat really good guts of, of ribeye. And still I'm spending a fraction of what I spent when I was living in, um, keto internet landia, because I'm not doing the packaged pro products. I'm not doing the supplements. There's just so much other stuff, um, that I'm not doing, not counting, not tracking. Um, and so I'm heartened to hear that, uh, uh, your philosophy towards, um, um, calories. And, um, I'm going to adopt, uh, what you said, uh, and how Robin team think about just subtracting fiber at most, um, but keeping those sugar alcohols in there when thinking about carbs. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I'm curious what, um, what type of exercise do you do and, and how do you incorporate that? And like, how did you go from needing to sleep every three hours to like, how's your energy now? So I have always, um, ever since I was probably in fifth or sixth grade and I started to get 
teased by um, kids for, I am of Indian heritage and I grew up in a really small Midwestern town where I was, um, you know, the, the only non-white person in my school and um, kids can be cruel. I thank God I'm not growing up now because thanks to um, social media, they can be really cruel, but I would, I was teased mercilessly um, in grade school. And so um, that actually put me on my very, very first diet, which was um, the really sophisticated, I called it um, go as long as you possibly can each day without eating diet. Um, and from there, my relationship with food um, began its twisty, turny journey to where I am today. But in that period, I also started exercising. Um, and I'm not a particularly skilled athletic person, but man, I would do anything. Like I, I was playing tennis like a crazy person. I was ice skating like a crazy person. I was running. I was doing anything I could to get calories off. Um, and, um, so my initial introduction to exercise didn't come in a healthy way. It wasn't driven by joy of the sport or whatnot. Um, and one of the things that happened as I came back, um, from this massive inflammation, nine months, um, away from work, couldn't stay awake, um, episode was that I had to start slowly. I mean, I literally did not have it. I've always been a triple type A person and I did not have it in me to do something as extreme as my response to um, the the teasing that I got when I was in grade school. And so I started with yoga and um, I actually came to adore yoga and there are such a wide range of yoga styles. And I now have moved up. In the beginning, I was doing a lot of yin, um, very calm. (laughs) But now I do a very active um, power vinyasa practice. Um, I go five times a week. I do it as much for my head as I do for my my body. Um, I, I don't do it for my weight, but it is, I, I know it has helped my weight because it keeps my head clear. And that then helps me, helps me make good, um, dietary choices. And also it gives me community. Um, I really think lack of community can be an, another thing that can be stressful, isolating and lead to, you know, cortisol and other hormones popping up and, and doing the jiggy when we don't want them to. And so I found that to be another wonderful part of, of yoga. And then I've always loved of swimming. So I do yoga and swimming. And then the one thing that I am um, challenging myself to add in this year in baby steps um, is uh, resistance training. Um, not only do we hear so much about how helpful it is in terms of um, increasing um, muscle and lean body mass and the, you know, metabolic effects that, um, those positive metabolic effects that those bring. But, you know, when you're a woman over 50, um, and statistically speaking, you could live into your nineties or your hundreds, you'd like your bones to come along with you. And so, um, that's, that's where I, um, stand from an exercise front. I think the main thing that I'd love to share with listeners 
um, for anybody who listens and is like, I am not an exercise person, um, is uh, the degree to which this is now a part of my life. And I don't think about it as exercise. I think about it as movement. Um, and that's like a completely separate category in my brain from, from exercise. And it feels so much more joyful when I think about it that way. Um, and then the last thing I'll say, and, and many people, um, longtime listeners of Carnivore Cast will um, more than know this statement, but I didn't, which is really your nutrition completely trumps your exercise program in terms of the effect on your weight and your body composition. Um, and so when I finally learned and could see that that was the fact, um, it made me completely reframe exercise into something that I needed to do as much of as I possibly could shove into a day to something that could be um, joyful, a hobby, and put into kind of this movement category and community category and nature category, getting out. And yeah, that's fantastic. I think finding finding a version of exercise that works for you and, and checks the boxes is, is great. And like, whatever you enjoy, whatever, whatever you think um, you want to do every day, I think there's a lot to be said for that. Um, and how about uh, Manisha in terms of like um, changes and results you've experienced from carnivore, how has it helped with weight loss, body composition, anything else you measure, like your lipids, your, um, have you, have you had any body composition done or anything like that? Yeah. So, um, this is, you know, before coming on, I was trying to think what on earth could I, a regular old person share with other people on the carnivore journey that, that might be helpful. And I, I, what, what struck me the most was kind of what it's like when you are still in the early stages. So, um, it was last December that I started, that I uh, let go of the 20 ounces of vegetables and massive amounts of fruit a day and stepped into the keto world. And, and I would say somewhere around May is when I gradually um, got full steam into the carnivore um, world. And, and so, um, you know, seven, eight months carnivore and over a year in kind of this universe. Um, I, when I started my, I'm five foot three and a half. And as an adult, my weight has bounced between, um, 165 at the high and 125 at the low. And, um, when I started this, I was back up at my high, I was at 165. And, um, as I was doing the whole keto thing, really nothing felt like it happened. Like, I mean, I was, you know, dropping, and I'm not kidding you, like a pound a month. And I felt like I saw no change in my body composition. Once I shifted over to keto um, and, and my goal was my, well, my goal is to drop 30 pounds from my peak. I, I feel like at my age, I'm at my best at 135 pounds. And um, so I've dropped half of that. Um, But what is shot, which I'm, which I'm, thrilled that I've dropped, you know, I'm halfway to my goal in just over a half a year, which feels like a very steady, sustainable pace for me. Um, but the thing that is blowing my mind is that I was, 
I couldn't fit in any of my clothes, Scott. Like none of them. I have all these gorgeous outfits from, you know, board meetings and other things that I would go <laughs> to. And um, I literally was buying stuff, um, uh, you know, from secondhand stores because I, I didn't want to spend frivolously and I was hoping I wasn't going to stay at this larger size, but I was, I was 12, 14. And um, even though my weight has gone down, some people might say just 15, just 15 pounds um, or just halfway to my goal, my body size, my clothes, I'm now wearing a size six, eight. So the fact that I've gone from a size 12, 14 to a size six, eight in this period of time has just been just so shocking to me. And um, I had done a DEXA scan um, and an RMR um, prior to starting all of this. Um, And um, I mean, I can see it in, um, you know, like I was for my height, I was bouncing up uh, pretty darn close to that um, obesity uh, 30% range on the BMI. and um, I uh, am now down at 26. So I'm, um, it's, it's been a big um, shift. I'm still in the overweight category, but I'm headed in the right direction. But I, I think the main thing with my exceptionally rambly answer here is that I've learned the difference between weight and body composition. Um, and that has been a huge shocker for me. And so I don't think I'm going to weigh myself again until my next DEXA scan that I'll do, you know, this time next year. Um, and I'm just going to look at how I fit in my clothes and how I feel to assess what's going on. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I love that attitude. I think, first of all, congratulations, you've made amazing progress, uh, but also um, like relieving some of that stress for yourself is I'm sure going to make a world of difference and make it even easier. Um how how has your mental health improved with carnivore or, or has it and and why why do you think that is oh i am so glad we're talking about this scott so um i have struggled with mental health issues for um as long as i can remember the first the uh, the first um images that come to mind are in high school. And then by the time I was in college, my anxiety and depression was incredibly severe. And then um, from that point forward, um, I felt like I lived in this really bizarre space in my head um, where I was very high performing professionally and academically. And I've been blessed to achieve some pretty amazing things. I look at, at what I've done and I'm like, who is that person? Because there's another person, um, which is the Manisha huddled in a ball on the floor, like, like unable to get up, just gasping for air. And um, it turns out I am bipolar. I have bipolar two and it went undiagnosed. Um, I can't tell you how many different doctors I've seen over the years. Um, but just like in, you know, the world of visiting your general physician and talking about weight and them telling you to um, focus in on calories in 
um, versus calories out. And clearly they've never read anything by Gary Taubes. <laughs> um, the same thing happens in the psychiatric world too. Um, it's very, there's not a blood test. It's very difficult to diagnose what someone has. So um, turns out the reason why I always felt like there was a war going on in my head was because there was a war going on in my head. And so um very late in life, in my 40s, I was properly diagnosed and put on um, a, a cocktail of um, medicines, um, which is typically how um, bipolar is treated with um, uh, an antipsychotic, um, an antidepressant, and an anti-anxiety medicine. And um, first of all, I can't tell you um, what. Um, what a relief it was to actually, um, it's gonna make me cry to get properly diagnosed and realize that I, I wasn't crazy, that they're really, um, I had some wild things going on chemically in my brain. So I have been very afraid to mess with the medicines because I feel like I've gotten my life back with the medicines. And I just said to myself, I, I will live with these medicines for the rest of my life because the difference of this um, versus the, the two lives that I was leading, the public life and the private life, um, I just could not go back there. But starting with carnivore, I'd hear people um, talk about how it improved their mental health. I thought, yeah, but not, not, not when you're talking about something like bipolar. Um, and I am... Um, ironically, talking to my uh, psychiatrist later this afternoon, and I'm going to talk to her about whether we should start um, titrating down um, my meds and seeing how it goes, because I feel so good. I'm, I'm, I, I, I um, just to give you an example, um, I take meds morning, afternoon, and evening, and I, I have noticed I don't need my afternoon um, dose of anti-anxiety medicine anymore. And prior to carnivore, um, I literally would have felt like there were spiders crawling through my veins. The anxiety would have been so heightened by midday if I hadn't um, taken my medicine. And so something is going on. And, you know, as I listened to um, Dr. Georgia Eads, I mean, there's so there's there's so many interesting things starting to bubble up as we look at mental health in the brain. Um, but I, it has, I, I'm, I'm an early stage example that I think it'll be my end of one will be interesting to see where it goes, but I'm hopeful for the first time in my life that I don't know if I'll get off all medicines, but I think I'll for sure be taking, um, well, I'm going to try and take less and we'll see what happens. And I never thought I would say that, Scott, never. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I, I have family members with, with similar um, conditions, and I just can't imagine how debilitating it is. And to hear that this lifestyle has been able to help with that in some way, and you've been able to find answers even, even outside of the diet, um, I'm, I'm really happy for you. Well, and I, I'm really excited to see where the research goes um, in the link between food and mental health, um, the, the, the 
anecdotes that are coming out of the carnivore world of those of us who struggled with anxiety, depression, bipolar, um, whether it's two or bipolar one, um, uh, schizophrenia, it's mind blowing to me, but it also makes so much sense. It's just like the first time you hear about insulin resistance and you're, you're like, oh my gosh, why have I, why is no one talking about this? And you start thinking about inflammation in the brain and um, the various different ways, the nutrient profile of what's going in our body, well, our brain's part of our body um, and it's getting affected too. And so I'm excited to see, um, I mean, I feel like um, the world, you know, in the world of health in general, and so many physicians um, say this, you know, it's become a kind of depressing one and that you're being trained to um, treat symptoms, not prevent um, at a root cause level. And I think in the mental health community, we're even further behind, partly because a lot of people don't feel comfortable even telling their doctor that they need some help. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I started speaking out so much um, in my professional life. Um, it is extremely uncommon for anybody in the financial services world to want to talk openly and honestly about There's just a very strong stigma um, about mental health. And I think a lot of people don't seek help because of the stigma. Then two, when they do seek help, Oftentimes, the first place they go is their um, general physician who gets probably not much more nutrition and help with education in um, on the mental health side of things as they do on the nutrition side of things. And so it takes a lot of steps to get mental health, um, to get the correct mental health care, um, even before you introduce the element of um nutrition into it. And so one of the things I'm so excited to see happening in the carnivore world is what feels to me like much more transparency around um, mental health issues um, and also eating issues. Um, I feel like people are very transparent about um, uh, not just anorexia and bulimia, but the even more prevalent and uh, I have struggled with this too, binge eating, and it actually is now in the DSM, um, binge eating disorder. So I feel like eat, disordered eating and mental health issues are just naturally bubbling up in a carnivore community in a way that is so authentic and so heartfelt, and the way individuals are sharing and researchers are investigating. I'm really hopeful that these issues, which are widespread and causing pain in so many places might actually get some unique answers bubbling up from the world of carnivory. Yeah, I'm hopeful too. I think the mental health aspect of carnivore has always fascinated me even more than the physical transformations. Um, and you're right. It is a shame that it is still a taboo um, in so many social situations and industries um, I worked in financial services myself for a while and yeah, I, I can totally agree that there's just a kind of suck it up and um, be tough and be a hard charger type A type attitude towards mental health and, and emotions in general. Um, 
and Manisha, I'm curious, you know, uh, we've, we've talked this whole time about carnivore, but I want to hear a little bit about the financial literacy and personal finance side. Um, first of all, how has carnivore affected your productivity, your financial confidence, and your ability to um, do those things you're passionate about? The single biggest impact that carnivore has had on me is that I have expanded my definition and the way I think about personal finance. Um, I, I've always been um, fascinated by and wanting to grow um, my own and clients' wealth, um, W-E-A-L-T-H. But thanks to carnivore, oddly enough, I now think about the world of finance as wealth, W-E-L-L-T-H. And in my mind, there are two components. Um, There's financial health and there's emotional wealth. And what's happened, um, I think, especially for a lot of um, type A folks, um, and I feel like I'm exhibit A, is it can be really easy to fall into a place where you equate your self-worth with your net worth. Um, in financial services, we often, it's, you know, what's your number? What was your bonus? How much money do you make? But it, 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 there are examples in all industries. You know, my professor friends tell me that they feel their self-worth is measured by how many papers they've published. My, uh, my yoga teachers tell me that there's pressure there. They're, they feel like their self-worth is the number of students in their classes. And so um, what uh, the biggest impact that carnivores had on me is just an expanding definition of what wealth is. Um, and on top of that, more productivity. I um, sleep through the night now, so I'm able to get up early. I'm able to work my most productive hours. So now um, I I have been wanting to write, um, uh, I've written two prior books, their personal finance primers for women in their 20s and 30s about personal finance. Because if I can get to a, a young woman or a young man in their 20s and 30s, I can literally change their life with 10, 12 basic precepts. Um, and um, ever since, and I've been wanting to write um, another book, but I just couldn't get the energy. And um, since going carnivore, I managed to get the book proposal out. I um, have signed a, a, a book deal with Harper Collins and I'll have a book coming out in the summer of 2023. And it's all about this notion of um, how to stop striving yourself crazy, um, how to do life different and how to really be wealthy in the W-E-L-L-T-H-Y sense by taking steps to enhance your financial health, um, which doesn't mean um, uh, making money your sole focus, which for um, some listeners, they may be thinking like, what kind of sick person makes money their sole focus? But I can tell you, I live in a world where a lot of people <laughs> do, yeah, and I'm one of them, um, and I'm not proud of it. Um, and then what are the uh, pieces that help enhance your emotional wealth? And what I see is there's a virtuous circle that when you are financially healthy and you are following the basics of good financial hygiene, which are surprisingly straightforward if you were taught them early on in life, although it's never too late. 
um, then you have the energy and the fuel needed to develop emotional wealth in your life. And so um, I guess to wrap it, um, it, the big thing for me about carnivores, it's given me the energy to come back to writing books um, and now to write in a way that I feel um, will reach an even larger message than my first two books. Um, because not everybody wants to know how to uh, raise their credit score or um, identify how much they need to be saving each year to reach their retirement goals, although they should. Um, but who doesn't want to have emotional wealth in their life? And so by linking, financial health and emotional wealth, the way carnivore has linked nutrition, um, uh, improved mental health, improved inflammation, and, you know, it has so many more aspects to it. Um, that, that is, um, the biggest impact that I've seen, uh, financially that in my grocery budget falling, um, because I'm not <laughs> buying keto junk. Um, and, um, and I'm not binge eating, um, and which is another very expensive um, uh, food activity. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, Manisha, this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, I think you have such a valuable and interesting story to share. Um, I really want to thank you for coming on and thank everyone for listening. What is something you want to leave the listeners with? And then I'll also ask you to share where people can find you and, and follow your work. I I think the most important thing is to know there is literally no better investment that you can make than in dialing your nutrition into the place that's optimal for you. You do that and all kinds of other things will fall into place financially and, and, and otherwise. So that is my big hot investment tip for 2022 and beyond. Invest um, in identifying the optimal um, nutritional protocol for your um, your particular body. That's great advice. And where can people find you? And I'll, I'll of course, have links to everything in the show notes. My website is moneyzen.com, M-O-N-E-Y-Z-E-N.com. And while um, I predominantly write about uh, financial health and emotional wealth. Um, I am sharing my carnivore journey as I go along. So there'll be more and more uh, carnivore uh, uh, shout outs and highlights. So um, even if you're not financial, come along and check it out. That's awesome. I'll certainly be following along. And thanks again for sharing, Manisha. It's been a pleasure. Scott, thank you so much for having me and for hosting this show. Of course. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting the Carnivore Cast on Patreon. By becoming a patron, you'll help us reach more people and continue to create content on Carnivore. There are also exclusive perks available, such as private Q&As, consultations with me, and more. Become a supporter at patreon.com slash carnivorecast. Check the episode description for the link. Thank you, and I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carnivore Cast. If you enjoyed this episode, please review on iTunes. It really helps us out and share it with a friend. What questions would you like answered or who would you like to hear from 
in the carnivore research community. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at CarnivoreCast or go to CarnivoreCast.com. You can also email me at info at CarnivoreCast.com. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep it carnivore.